Mezcal is steeped in as much history as the country of its origin. A history that has been passed through each generation by way of mystical legends and intricate processes. This film delves into the rich connection between the agave plant and the natives who harvest, ferment, and eventually purvey this fabled spirit. Hi, I'm Heather Grayson, writer, producer, and director who craves passion in filmmaking, and documentarians are just that. I write fiction, but I love to watch the truth. My name is B.C. Wayman. I'm an actor, a writer, an entertainer, all sorts of creative endeavors. But what I love most? Being a storyteller. It's why I love documentaries. They're extraordinary stories from everyday, extraordinary people. This is Behind the Doc, and today we are behind the scenes of In the Belly of the Moon. Long ago, when life was filled with rituals and passion, when we were ruled by the seasons and fearful of the gods, the young and beautiful goddess of fertility, Mayuel, sat at the edge of a cloud every night and sang a song filled with beauty and deep sadness. The serpent god of the wind, Ahikatl, heard Mayuel's song. Enchanted by the mesmerizing ballad, he followed the sounds until he found her, whereupon he fell madly in love. Each night he would visit, curling his passionate breeze around her, dancing until they were one. Mayuel's jealous and possessive grandmother, Titimitl, was enraged by the impossible strength of their passion, believing it to be stronger than all the heavens, and plotted to kill the lovers. Aware of Sitsumitsu's plan, Ehikatsu embraced Mayuel, sweeping her to the earth. During the journey, their bodies passionately melted into one, developing into a beautiful plant, the Megay. It's many green spires reaching towards the heavens. From that moment, the Megay would be a symbol of passion and transformation, an elixir of a culture created around magic and love. Welcome, everyone, to Behind the Dock, a show where we take a deep dive into documentary filmmaking and the people that make them. And we're very excited today to have with us Antoine Hunt, Julius Ritchie, the writers, director, along with producer and co-director of an amazing film, In the Belly of the Moon. It is a film... It's a film about making mezcal, but it's a film about so much more. It's about the people, it's about the culture, it's about the spirituality of the countryside that is Mexico in this amazing spirit that is produced from it. So with a name like In the Belly of the Moon, how do you describe this film to people when you tell them? Because it really doesn't say what it's about. So when they ask you what is In the Belly of the Moon, how do you describe that film to people? The idea was that the story, I mean, Mescal has written its own narrative. So it predates history. It starts with the agave plant and so on. So we thought we, we start with a really slow pace at the beginning that uh, we have a little prehistoric experience. And then as the story, as the narrative of Mescal, the pace goes up, so the movie gets faster towards the end, fast-paced, and so on. We always had the idea that we would center this around the myths of Mescal and the beginnings. So the beginnings have these great 
stories about how it, it was discovered and came into the world. When you see Mexico City from the mountains, how it was way back when, sitting in a lake, you have the reflection of the moon in the lake, and Mexico City sits in the navel of the moon. I was going to say, in the navel, the moon doesn't have quite the same ring to it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you both worked on a short film called 400 Rabbits. The fertility goddess Mayuel, known as the protector of Pulque, was said to have given birth to 400 rabbits to whom she fed Pulque from her many breasts. Known as the gods of drunkenness, these divine rabbits traveled through the land, bestowing their gift to the people, each rabbit representing a different experience of intoxication. And those 400 rabbits are part of this, this story and this myth. Is that where you got the idea to document this lifestyle? Or when did you decide that filming this short film and having Mezcal as part of it in this culture was going to become more of a documentary about their creation and the stories behind it? So we initially went to Mexico for Guanajuato Film Festival. One of our films was selected. And our host there, Camelo, he used to run a boutique mezcal bar. And we had the built-in crew in the, as part of the festival, the festival guests. So we hired a van and we started traveling around and we took part in how he, you know, in, and got introduced to some of the producers that he would harness his mezcal from. And we got fascinated. And a few years later, so we were able to fundraise and tell the story. So how was this process, Antoine and Julie? You're both artists from different fields. I know, Antoine, you've done sculpting, you've done photography. Why make this jump into filmmaking when you already seemingly have a lot of artistic avenues you're going down? Well, it's not that much of a leap because in my work as an artist, I do use film. And I, I tend to do very abstract pieces that have been um, selected for like the Bermuda National Gallery's biennial. So making a feature film is more of a leap coming from just making a few short films with Jalise. And Jalise, it's really interesting to me because it looks like in your background you were used to sell or at least in the business of financial technology. I myself am in the technology field, so I just thought that was such a great kind of leap. And what made you leap from doing that work to more artistic creations, I guess you should say? I think I followed both paths simultaneously, but last five, six years, I'm actually not anymore in the software. I have a mathematics background and also I studied art, so it's <laughs> I have to satisfy both aspects. When I was telling someone that I watched this film and I said, I'm about to do this film, talk to these amazing directors of this film about Mezcal, their first response was, oh, it's about tequila. And of course, I had to set the record straight. I was like, well, tequila, technically, but let's help explain to the audience because I feel like, and I just learned this, to be honest with you, a few days ago when I watched it, I didn't really understand the difference. And it was apparent upon watching it and learning from your film. But how do you describe or how do you help educate people when they say, isn't that just tequila? Tequila is made from blue agave and comes from Jalisco only. So they have the rights to call their products tequila. And it's mostly produced from 
farmed blue agaves. The mezcal is more umbrella name. Any agave spirit is called mezcal. To make it even more confusing, tequila is a mezcal. It was just branded as tequila and it sort of went out into the world as tequila and that's basically what everybody knows. But in Mexico, if you say mezcal, that could also mean tequila. Tequila is a derivative of mezcal. It originated as this agave uh, light beer and then turned into me you know, mezcal. And, and um, people who are interested in, in learning definitely perk up their ears. How did you end up settling on the people that you did in the film? I'd imagine there's several people that produce it down there, that create this amazing spirit. How did you end up settling on the communities that you did? That was quite interesting. For me, it was life-changing experience as well, I could say, because we went to really places that they were completely disconnected. Like, for instance, when we went to Ishkatlan, it's, it's on top of a mountain. There's no mobile reception, never mind internet. And there was a funeral of somebody, and he spoke the... He, a specific language and he was the last person who spoke that language and that language died with him. So these really disconnected rural communities, they are also governed by their own rules. We really approach with a great respect and let them to take us into their community so that we can observe properly and film properly. A lot of the people that we did come across and have in the film came from the great crew that we had. My DP, he was actually a Mescal guy, and he knew people. And then once you know one person, you know somebody else, and it keeps cascading like that. So it was just a, a natural process to keep finding people. Like, I'm, I'm still finding people. There's so many aspects of mezcal that keep going on and on and on and on. What I found really interesting was not only the cinematography. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. Just every frame just seemed to pick something up for me. But also that you didn't translate. When you first come into it, I was like, oh, I, I wonder how I'm going to understand <laughs> what they're saying. But very thoughtfully, you're letting us paint our own picture. And I really enjoyed that. What was the thought behind that? The initial scene with the guy out in the desert giving thanks. Tonansi tlali, salchutlique, sicuatlique, sent la linsin, tlaliscoyan, sensonson il wimekatl, inexpansintli, ome ejecatl, plazo comatic, tonansi tlali. My whole thought was that you would feel what he's talking about and what, what he's doing is conveyed just through his actions. So that was part of taking off from the poetry of the film. I would say this also, one of the things that, that happens when you make a film is everything that you think is going to happen doesn't. <laughs> the notes, the book, the script, it doesn't mean anything. It's like, oh my gracious, we had so many adventures that you could, you just could not predict. 
Well, let's go there. So you did film in a very rural region and what I would imagine would be a very hot region. I'd imagine the temperatures, your utilities, the access to electricity, as Julie just said, Wi-Fi is probably very sparse at best. Did you, I'm sure you, as you said, planned to try to capture this environment in with the equipment. What kind of things did you run into? What were some of these unexpected road bumps that you just blew your mind that these were actually happening to you while you're in the countryside of Mexico? He was running away from coyotes, apparently. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> what he Hang on to his camera. <laughs> Wouldn't let it go. On top of this mesa, the crew left me to go shoot something else whilst I was there doing a time lapse. And I'm standing there, you know, twiddling my thumbs. And there's nothing, there's nothing on this mesa except for a tree, this skinny little tree about quarter mile away from me and this truck comes up and it happened to be the guy that we were staying with from the village and he comes over to me he's like um look over there (laughs) and there were these two coyotes just sort of eyeing me up if he hadn't come along because he's like get in a truck now (laughs) If he hadn't come along, who knows what would have happened. I would have been fending off coyotes with my tripod. Oh, I don't know. Uh, that would have been a tough battle. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh, yeah. Can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place, the sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Wrapped in the traditions of the Catholics' Feast of All Saints' Day, also known as All Hallows' Day, the Day of the Dead is a festival of food, songs, and color. It is a celebration of life, of rebirth and renewal. It is a day where your personal story meets the stories of your ancestors. I did think one of the amazing things was watching the Day of the Dead ceremony. And I had, much like you mentioned, Antoine, probably preconceived notions or an idea of what it was. And I was I was emotional watching it because it is the celebration of life. It's called Day of the Dead, but I don't think I ever truly understood it. And your film helped paint what people are doing. And Mezcal plays a big part of that, right? They give it to the adults so they have a taste of what life was like to bring them back. Dia de los Muertos celebrates the lives of the deceased with activities the dead enjoyed in life. This is a ritual that recognizes death as a natural part of the human experience. On the Day of the Dead, the dead are also part of the community, awakened from their eternal slumber to share celebrations with their loved ones. This is a day of remembrance and acknowledgement of our common fate. 
think it helps demystify death. And I feel like they're much more comfortable in peace with, you know, people passing on because they get to celebrate with them yearly this moment. I felt like that when I'm really happy you included it. I don't know if it's so much a statement than a question. I just think it was a nice part because it really showed and helped me understand what it was and why it means so much to the people. Brilliant. Uh, that's, I love that you said that. What magic for me was that most of these altars, that they really believed that the spirit of their uh, deceased ones, they actually come and visit them. And they always include a glass of mezcal in the altar so that they can come and also experience that. That was very interesting for me. <laughs> and that, <laughs> that was the cue that we have to definitely include day after that. Mescal is present on all the altars, there to quench the thirst of the deceased after their long journey home. And on these mantles, which were beautiful, and just, again, the cinematography for all of it was amazing, was Mescal. And with going into the making and producing of Mescal, I honestly, before watching this, and actually I... Um, work with some restaurant companies here in my area, and one is going to be a mezcal bar. So he introduced me to this, and I'd never even heard of it, honestly, until about a month ago. I did not expect it to be smoky. I didn't under, I didn't know that that was, you have tequila, and it's kind of a little bitter, I guess. And then, you know, you take a sip of mezcal, and it's, it's this smoky, interesting flavor. How was that process just to watch them go through and, and take these and smoke these? And, and it was just so interesting, the whole method of it and all the crosses, you know, just crosses everywhere. How was it to, to focus on that and learn about it and get to watch it all go down? It's hard to describe when you see and taste the plant coming out of the, this fire. You have a deeper appreciation of the complexities of the final spirit. Also, just I want to bring it to your attention. So we, I think, was mainly about uh, ancestral style of mezcal making, and they consider that process more like a folk art because one batch is different than the other batch. You may have the same producer producing it, but it is, it's still, each one, each batch is very unique. It's, it's, it's ancestral. So they still continue to do um, and continue to, to, to create this process as, as their ancestors. So there's nothing that's really changed and, and you can, you can taste that. So there's actually quite diverse when we talk about mezcal, we talk about a huge spectrum. Yeah, there are, depending on who you talk to, between like 20 and 30 different plants that you can make mezcal out of, out of the 200-odd plants. And each one has its own characteristics. And then each producer is going to produce the, a different taste from the same plant depending on the terroir. So you have the, the landscape can vary greatly and that adds to what's, what's the flavor, the end product is. You can have a father and son making the same 
mezcal in the same palenque, in the same still, that tastes completely different. It's, it's quite amazing. I mean, these producers that we were able to film, they're like wise old man of that village. He knows how to harness the best spirit from this plant. It's almost as if his story is built is is kind of blended into Absolutely, the mezcal. Yes. Yeah, a lot of these guys, you would find that they actually sleep with their mezcal. <laughs> you walk into this room, and there's all this mezcal and bottles, and the bed in the corner. <laughs> I'm here because be part of a process that that's not known to me, but that I enjoy drinking mezcal. I, I put everything aside, other liquors and beer, and kind of focused on mezcal because I felt that that was the, the spirit that I really, truly enjoyed. What I wanted was to to work, um, to work in, in a palenque. Whatever part of the process that the family allows me to be part of, um, I'm more than happy. I found it interesting. There's the one artist who is painting the agave plant in the ash and makes a point to say he wanted to learn. And they told him he's not from here, so he, while he can appreciate it, he doesn't get to learn the intricacy. So there is some guardedness, it seems, on yeah. some of it. I was That was a nice little piece to add in there to show it's not, not that it's not welcoming, but there are still things they'd like to keep close to their community, to their heritage, to their country and their people. I mean, that is what we find out, you know, these communities, they are really guided by their own law. They are governed by their own law, so they make their own rules. But this was Lalo, and it was his community. So in that community, they don't allow foreigners to learn the craft. Yeah, because one of the things that he was is is doing is to get the knowledge of how to make mezcal something that's that's more alive in the communities because what one of the things that is happening right now is that more Mexicans are leaving the states and going back to Mexico to get into making mezcal in the traditional ways and there are quite a few communities that are supporting this and with Lalo you have also the idea that that there are certain kinds of mezcals that they say or uh, ways of making mezcal that come from his community that they want to protect. So it's sort of like the idea of a, a patent, let's say. So they want to keep it amongst themselves. I, I had asked, again, if I could be part of the process. And with much respect, he told me, uh, unless I'm born in Santa Catalina, Minas, I would be allowed to be, participate in the process. Um, and again, I, I took off my hat to him and I said, I, I get it. I, I respect it. It was interesting to note, as much as you you know talk about all the welcoming, I would be, and this is a, a, a shift, but I would be remiss before I forget, I am fascinated and in love with drone videography. And I have to tell you, Antoine, I don't know if you were the pilot or who you hired to do that, but your drone work, and I think you're helped, uh, do not take this personally, by the beautiful landscape that you uh -huh. were filming, because that was, I mean, you, you were able to capture some amazing footage. Your drone work in there was spot on, and it really helped 
paint the area and in, in even the height sometimes of the plants, you were able to get to the very top of these tall stalks. And it was just, just compliments to uh, whoever was your drone uh, operator. It, it was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, it started, there's so many stories, <laughs> but with the drone, we were lucky enough to be able to have it fully kitted out where, where I could do things with focus pulling. So it's not just like this flat, wide shot of things. They got annoyed at me all the time because, I, as I know, we're not putting on a wide-angle lens. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing this with, with the telephoto. And, you know, get close to it and up and down, straight up and down. You know, I'm, I'm like drawing diagrams on the ground <laughs> and trying to get, like, okay, we go here and then here, and the camera's got to do this. <laughs> well, it definitely worked out well. It was absolutely just the the scenery and the just everything about it. I, I don't know. It was it was really calming and it you know, spiritual. The question is always asked, you know, how did Nescal find you? And it found me through yet another party, but it was where a friend of mine, it was her birthday, Claudia. I went with her to get some mescal and she shows up with this this like five gallon container of spirit and I'm like okay <laughs> what's that from that moment I, I started to question you know where did this come from and and what's it all about and and that's how it really started for me and over the years it I, I just learned more and more you don't find mezcal mezcal finds you and you think about that for a moment everybody we know that loves this they were somewhere, some experience, some moment happened for them that they said, oh, that was the moment that I knew I had to be doing this. And I guarantee you, we, I make a habit of it. I ask people, I love finding out, how did, how did Mezcal find you? Julie, it is something you talk about in the film, and Antoine just told us his. So how did Mezcal find you? It found me when I went to Guanajuato with the film festival with one of my films. Our host, Camelo, he had a mes- boutique mezcal bar. And there it all happened. <laughs> he made really nice cocktails. And somebody starts to like, really get going and, and starts singing in Turkish when they drink mezcal. <laughs> oh, we're finding out some secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's change the subject. <laughs> Let me ask you this as we wrap up. Antoine, both for you, Julie's. People watch it, and they we have all, you know, much like Mezcal, you have these different experiences when you watch films. I took something different maybe from it than Heather did or our producer Sarah. What do you hope people, when they watch this, what do you hope they take away from it? What do you want there to be their lasting image or moving forward? Is it just to appreciate it? Is it to drink Mezcal? What do you want people to learn and take away from your film? I like the audience to feel that we use mezcal as a way, as a tool to showcase Mesoamerica, the rural parts, the cities, urban landscapes, have a sort of general idea. I would love it if people were to, I hope they would understand what mezcal is a little better and the beauty of not just Mexico, but the people and to also counteract the things that go on in the media, especially these days. 
It's just such a, a wonderful place where people are people. And Mexico has such a diverse and wide range of flavors and textures and colors and I can't wait to get back. You both did an amazing job of putting it together, telling a great story about the culture, about the spirit, and about the people that appreciate it. So I'm really grateful that we had an opportunity to watch the film. Oh, um, thank you. I'm really grateful the opportunity to speak with you, to really understand it, and I think it makes me appreciate it even more. I will say, and we have to uh, point it out, there is a lot of mezcal being drank and drunk, whatever that word is, during the, uh, the movie. And did you guys uh, partake as you're going through filming i gotta imagine no, there's a lot of mezcal no, drinking absolutely no not at all not. never <laughs> not one sip not. all around it all day you're like no no yeah i feel like there's a lot <laughs> i can admit it was not easy to wear the producer's hat during those <laughs> yeah sometimes that guy they call the director would be hanging out with a crew till all hours in the morning and then be up for six to be out <laughs> <laughs> shooting <laughs> Somebody has to take care of the equipment and so on. <laughs> I do have one more question. There's a caterpillar in the bottom of my bottle. So uh, it's a common practice to put a, a worm inside a bottle of mezcal. And of course, this mezcal is going to have the flavor of the worm. Some people say that the reason why people began putting a mezcal inside the bottle was basically to see uh, how high it was in terms of the alcohol by volume in the bottle of mezcal. If you put a worm in it and it's well-preserved, then it means it has enough alcohol to preserve the worm. If it doesn't, if it has more water than it should, then of course the worm is going to be destroyed. Therefore, it's going to be a mezcal that doesn't have enough content of alcohol. So that's one of the stories of how it began and why they began putting worms inside a mezcal. Do I eat that or no? <laughs> And how many is, like, that's what I don't know, because I just, like, the internet says sometimes they're hallucinogenic. I feel like that's no, not true. No, but no. do you eat the worm or not? It's okay to eat it. It's just, um, <laughs> it's, it's protein. <laughs> it's an acquired taste. Uh, it's an both. acquired taste. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it just tastes more like mezcal because the, the worm eats the plant. So if you were to eat the worm not in the mezcal, it just, it, it really tastes like, like like mezcal, maybe a, and with a little metallic on top. Well, no better way to sell that. Uh, <laughs> than, uh, all right. I think we are uh, all plenty thirsty by now. Uh, go drink a little mezcal to end the day. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was great time to talk with you, and your film is wonderful, and I really hope more people get to appreciate it. And Thank you. Mexico. And as you said, Julie's not just the, the country, but not political wise, but the people and the people and the plant and what they are doing. And then that I did feel spiritual, like watching it. I felt like if I have a sip, I'm, I'm in touch with a culture I didn't know much about. So I think that was one of my takeaways. But thank you both for making it. We've had thank a wonderful you. time talking to you and we wish you both the best of luck. Uh, thank you. Thank you very thank much. You. We've enjoyed it. Thanks for the opportunity. It's wonderful that the, the young generation of Mexicans are coming up saying, no, no, I respect this. I respect this culture. I want this artisanal, handcrafted product. This is new to Mexico. It's the most ancient of all spirits. But for years, you're taught that it's, it's rot gut and it's moonshine and it'll make you go blind and this is terrible. Though you never know what those guys up in the mountains are putting in their liquor. And it's like, what we get to experience is these very, very handcrafted, particular products. This is about sharing whether it's in the bartending community, whether it's in the culinary community, whether it's amongst friends and family, this is conviviality. This is sharing. This is community. This is family. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Behind the Dock. If you liked us, because we all know you did, leave us a review in your Apple Podcast app. Behind the Dock is produced by Evergreen Podcast in association with Gravitas Ventures. Special thanks to executive producers Nolan Gallagher and Michael D'Aloya. Produced by Sarah Wilgroup and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. And you'll find us everywhere and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.